the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, we are back. Boy, it has been a busy couple of weeks in the arena of pro-life. In fact, you almost need to have a map to keep track of the number of states uh, between Georgia and Virginia and um, Alabama and others that are taking a real serious look at the issue of abortion and in many respects um, stemming the tide and and turning the direction in a very large fashion. The lawmakers now crafting um, what pro-life folks across the country uh, seem to see as language that will eventually overturn Roe versus Wade. Last week, Georgia Governor Brian Kemp signed into law the state's so-called fetal heartbeat bill. Yesterday, Alabama Governor Kay Ivey signed the most restrictive abortion law in the United States. But in previous years, the Supreme Court declined to hear such cases. If the Supreme Court wants to revisit Roe versus Wade, it has more than a dozen cases currently one step away from the court. And the justices may prefer to take up a law whose backers have made an argument on the merits of the law rather than one aimed simply at undermining Roe. Mike Bauer, NBC News Radio. All right, so lots of good news uh, nationally. California, huh, well, it's California. What can I say? Let's get an update. Brian Johnston joins us now, national or regional director with the National Right to Life Committee. And uh, Brian, certainly in many of these states, we're seeing some very encouraging news. Well, that's right, Craig. And I think as we have for many years, the point is we have to talk about the child. Uh, if it's not a human child, if it's not a, a unique human being, if that's not the case, then uh, I've got other things to do, and so do you. But if this is a unique human being, there's clearly something wrong with the decision that came down, the decisions, rather, that came down on January 22nd, 1973. And just to review, because a lot of times people get caught up in the media version of Roe v. Wade, let me review quickly what happened. There were two decisions written by Justice Blackman. Both of these decisions work hand in hand. They were both addressing uh, state laws, one in Texas, one in Georgia. The Roe v. Wade addressed the Texas law, Doe v. Bold addressing a Georgia law. But the Supreme Court function now not as a judicial system, but really as a form of legislative body, a supreme tribunal, and it didn't simply deal with Texas law and Georgia law. They said all the laws of all the 50 states could not protect the child in the womb. Very important distinctions here. Every state, even California, since that's where we are now, California had laws that, yes, allowed some abortions, but still, that law recognized that child in the womb, and after 20 weeks, you couldn't kill that kid, no matter the reason. Similarly, Colorado and New York and Massachusetts. But where are we now? First, it's so important to recognize that Roe v. Wade simply said, we don't know when life begins, and we're going to break down abortion into trimesters. 
In the first trimester, Justice Blackman did this himself. He created what's now known as the abortion clinic. He said there'll be freestanding facilities. In the first trimester, you can go there to get your abortion. In the second trimester, you've got to go to a doctor's office. In the third trimester, you have to go to a more of a critical care facility. But in none of those situations is he talking about the life of the child. In none of them. In none of those trimesters is the child's life recognized. Now we have to look at Doe v. Bolton. Very important to understand what Doe v. Bolton did. Again, the same author, the same judges, seven to two, agreed with Doe v. Bolton. And they said in the case of abortion, and this is a very famous health exception, he didn't talk about the life of the mother. That wasn't talked about in in Doe v. Bolton. It was the health. But I'm going to read to you what was said about health. May I? Please. Yeah, this is exactly what Justice Blackman said about the health of that mother. Of course, he didn't call her a mother. That would imply it as a child. He called her the patient. But this is what he said, that the medical, this is quote, that the medical judgment may be exercised in light of all factors, physical, emotional, psychological, familial, and the woman's age. All factors relevant to the well-being of the patient, all these factors may relate to health. Close quote. So he didn't say that, oh, the mother's life is in danger. She's about to die. No, he just said the psychological, emotional, familial, even her age, anything having to do with the well-being of the patient. It's pretty significant. Here's something further, though. And again, a lot of pro-lifers don't know this. Even a lot of pro-choicers don't know this. Justice Ginsburg is sitting on the court right now. She doesn't like Roe v. Wade. She wants to see Roe v. Wade overturned, and part of it is what we just read. The decision, if you read what he said, it's in the hands of the doctor. In the hands of the doctor, if he thinks, if he feels that the physical, emotional, psychological, familial factors may impact her well-being, it's based on his feelings, his opinions. Justice Ginsburg, as a radical feminist, doesn't like that. She wants an abortion decision that's based on sex, on gender. Only women can have abortions, therefore only they should have the ultimate decision. So this is a very interesting moment in history right now. But you have to understand what Roe and Doe do. What choice really means. Choice means abortion at any time, for any reason, or for no reason in particular, simply because it's chosen. Now, I right off, people think, well, wait a second, you know, late term, that's only if the child is, oh, I mean, if, it's, if there's something wrong with the child, then we're going to, no, no, look, look at the decisions. I challenge you, I challenge any attorney listening now, look at those decisions. It says nothing about the condition of the child. If you think, well, this child's going to be disabled and deformed, and and we should be free to kill it, well, if that makes you feel better, it's kind of a Nazi thinking, but if you feel better about doing an abortion for that reason, 
But the court said you don't need a reason. You don't need a reason regarding the health. Well, in fact, the, the, the whole notion of uh, um, the, 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 the point upon which it pivots for the, um, the health of the mother, mother without identifying or clarifying or specifying exactly what that means, well, then it becomes wide open. Now, is that physical health? Is that a threat to her ability to deliver the child and survive? Does it include mental health? Maybe she's going to be emotionally distraught and will be suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder, which ironically happens after an abortion uh, in, in a vast majority of the cases. But, but the 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 lack of clear definitions in my mind was was designed by intent and i think certainly to be sure um 40 something years ago um people heard the exclusions and thought well that's reasonable if it's a risk to the health of the mother never digging down deep enough to see exactly what was meant by that and as a result the floodgates were opened that's right and we see it the most here in california again because the pop media does not examine the meaning of choice, because the facts of what he said, and you got it exactly right, Greg, he intentionally used words that were inspecific and left it. Uh, let me put it this way. If anyone has seen the film Gosnell, see, they like it's between a woman and her doctor. Wait, wait a second. Think, who is this doctor? If abortion is, as it was before 73, against the law, it's called a perpetrator. It, the decision under under Roe and Doe, the perpetrator makes all the decisions. The guy who's hired to do this. And that leads us now to the issue in New York and Virginia and the bills that are being put forward. Because what's happening in New York and Virginia is the pro-abortion movement knows that Roe is likely going to be overturned. They want to keep that practice and regimen open. But think about this, because this is what, there was a book written years ago, and and uh, Bernie Nathanson commented on it too, but what's known as the dreaded complication. Your goal as a perpetrator, in other words, a doctor who's hired, again, this violates the Hippocratic Oath, but you're hired and you're paid to kill a human being, if you're doing this abortion and it doesn't work out quite right and the child's born alive, well, this is kind of uncomfortable because your whole goal is to kill that child. This is very complicated. And so there was a law in New York that said if a child's born in the course, alive in the course of an abortion, well, then you've got to help that child. That was existing law until January this year. In California, now in California, we have a special situation. I want to remind listeners, and there's many reasons for it, but we are the abortion state. There are more abortions done in California than any other state in the nation. And the abortion rate is almost double of any state in the nation because we pay for it on an unlimited basis. Well, and clearly here in California, I mean, they're, 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 that's all by design. And I think as we see many of these cases unfolding across the country, uh, the, the conclusion has been drawn by some, and I think it's a, it's a logical and encouraging one, that this may well push us toward 
review at the national level by the U.S. Supreme Court, which ultimately at the federal level is going to be what it's going to take to stem the tide here in California. Because right now the the tendency is to uh, be a, a one-trick pony here. By that I mean one party rules the state, they call all the the uh, the big decisions, and with the governor that is willing to sign anything that comes across his desk, quite apparently, I mean, maybe Gavin Newsom will later prove himself to uh, uh, to temper things, uh, much the way Jerry Brown did toward the end of his tenure. But let's not count on that. Lots to work on, to be sure. Much to be encouraged about. Um, Brian Johnston, Western Regional Director with the National Right to Life Committee. Thanks for that update. More information available on the web at nrlc.org. Take a time out. We're going to be back with more on the Thursday edition of Lifeline. Special guest joins us regarding an amazing new effort to reach North Korea. We'll tell you all about that in a moment. Right now, though, we'll tell you all about traffic. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. If you have been paying any attention to the news over the last, oh, I don't know, 65-something years, <laughs> you've noticed that we have a bit of an acrimonious relationship, the United States does, with North Korea. Now, let's face it, at the end of the quote-unquote war in 1953, there was a ceasefire, but never an official cessation of hostilities, and North Korea has remained on war footing ever since, um, much to the, I think, the, the political benefit in an awkward fashion to uh, maintaining of the regime to the north, which is one of the, as we've talked about on this program, um, one of the the most um, isolated and politically closed nations in the world. Some of you that have listened to the show for a long time know that we were there. We, I, I took a trip to, to North Korea, had a chance to visit places that um, just a handful of journalists ever go to and even fewer folks from the West. And I have to tell you from my own life experience, uh, it is not a pleasant place and even worse so for the people of North Korea. This is why it is particularly exciting news to learn that North Korea is going to be targeted not by missiles and bombs, but rather by the good news of the gospel with the launch soon of a 250,000-watt superstation that Far East Broadcasting is going to be building along the western coast of South Korea, just a few miles, in fact, south of the DMZ. Here to tell us more about it is uh, Wayne Pedersen. Wayne, of course, for many years was the VP of Moody Radio and is currently with Reach Beyond and serves as an ambassador, too, with FEBC. And Wayne, great to have you on the show. Well, thanks, Craig. And you've painted the picture amazingly well, having been there yourself. And we uh, it's called the uh, Hermit Kingdom for a reason, because it's so shut off from the rest of the world. And uh, Kim Jong-un has repeatedly threatened America with missile tests and his rhetoric. And uh, his aim is to wipe out any trace of Christianity, making himself God. But uh, we think he's about to meet his match with the power of Christian radio that can get in where where other people can't, where missionaries can't. And uh, so this is an exciting opportunity we have here to put... 250,000 watts into North Korea. And, and you know, uh, from, a, from a broadcaster's perspective, I, I love those power levels. 
<laughs> I mean, we, we operate the most powerful Christian radio station west of the Mississippi with 50,000 watts, which is, of course, the most the FCC will license to any radio station, AM radio station in the country. And to know that there's going to be five times as much power blanketing the entirety of North Korea is very exciting. And I think from a strategic standpoint, Wayne, critically important, because having been there and knowing how dangerous it is, is that in North Korea, simple possession of a Bible can lead you to arrest and imprisonment. And in North Korea, if you violate a rule or a regulation and you were sent off to an education camp, which is their term for a the gulag, um, they don't just arrest and jail the perpetrator of the quote-unquote violation or crime. They will do multi-generational. So if you get caught, um, the likelihood of your parents or grandparents or even kids being sent off to jail as well for years to come is very strong. So it's it's a dangerous country in which to be a Christian and even more so dangerous for anyone that attempts to engage in evangelism. Um, it, it is a country that has declared itself to be religion-free, except with the uh, the notion of, of worshiping of the, the Kim dynasty. And so knowing that it is largely closed to traditional forms of outreach and evangelism and so horribly risky for Christians to even openly share their faith, um, to be able to use the power of the radio to accomplish that, knowing that Kim cannot build a wall high enough or buy enough razor wire or build or construct enough guard towers to keep the power of radio out and its ability to to disseminate the gospel is in, uh, unbelievably encouraging. Well, you've said it so well. You know, the uh, Open Doors USA releases their world watch list every year ranking the 50 countries where Christians are most persecuted, North Korea has been in the top spot for 18 years in a row. People are deported to labor camps, as you've said, as political criminals, even killed on the spot. Their families share their faith. And so, um, you know, (laughs) Craig, if I lived in North Korea, I'd be praying for God's protection each and every day. I'd just be praying, praying, Lord, keep me connected. But, you know, the, the believers there pray that they would be bold, They pray that they would be faithful. They don't pray for safety. They pray for boldness and faithfulness, which is humbling to those of us that live in, say, the United States of America. It is indeed, and you know this is um, an important thing that you you touch on that we should emphasize, and that is that now what an ideal time for the church to rally together to support the effort by our friends at FEBC and to to pray for this and and, and come behind this effort in a um, in a material fashion to help it go from a vision to to reality and be impacting all of North Korea with this this unbelievably powerful two hundred and fifty thousand watt radio station. And so um, this is good news. Any idea, uh, Wayne, from the scuttlebutt you're, you've heard in terms of what, what the, the targeted launch or sign-on date is? I uh, sure do. We have secured a location for the station, which was a wonderful provision of the Lord. And some friends of uh, Far East Broadcasting, it's on the west coast of South Korea, just a few miles south of the DMZ. A great location because the signal goes out in the medium wave. We know that at night you get a skip, but it goes across the ocean and then goes right into North Korea. And uh, so you just can't go to Walmart and buy a 250,000-watt transmitter. 
So we have to order the equipment, and uh, it has to be specially made for us according to our specifications. But the plan is, Craig, uh, God willing, by the end of this year or at the worst early next year, we're going to be on the air. We're training indigenous people from, uh, that are refugees from North Korea that know the language and know the culture. They know the issues that people in North Korea are facing. So they will be our producers and presenters on the air. But uh, we are targeting, God willing, to be on the air broadcasting with 250,000 watts into North Korea by the end of this year. Wow, that's uh, that's a pretty um, – having put radio stations on the air from an engineering standpoint, uh, that's that's a pretty lofty effort, uh, particularly when you're talking about mega powers at, uh, at that level. I mean, it, it takes – towers and transmission lines that are unbelievably <laughs> large in size. Um, certainly going to put my my uh, my 50,000-watt transmitter here at KFAX looking like a little puddle jumper compared to this. And, and I want to emphasize, Wayne, that this is not shortwave. This is medium wave, correct? It is, and it's a very economical way. We love AM medium wave radio because the receivers are very cheap, and you've been to North Korea. You know not only of the spiritual poverty there, but the physical poverty. People can't get food. They can't get medical help. They can't get uh, clothing. It's very, very poor. All the, the, the economy is shot. Whatever money is in there is being put into the military by, by their leader. And uh, so, uh, you know, the AM radio, um, most people have those. They wear them around their necks. They have... Uh, earbuds in and when they're working their fields or their shops or whatever they can be listening secretly privately to the good news of jesus christ coming over that am radio station yeah and that's good news you know uh, not to um not to disparage uh, the influence of shortwave broadcasting uh, certainly for uh, uh decades and decades and decades well before the foundation of the, the so-called internet um if you wanted to reach across borders and be able to uh, touch the uttermost parts of the earth uh, with communications, shortwave radio was the way to do it. But it is wrought with challenges and interference issues and the necessity of switching frequencies throughout the year uh, to to deal with uh, climate issues and sun-related issues and so forth. Those are problems that um, medium-wave radio, such as what you're listening to right now, doesn't have, doesn't need to contend with. And um, I'm going to pretty much bet 250,000 watts uh, medium-wave, probably directional, uh, is going to blanket the entirety of North Korea from east to west all the way up to the Chinese border. And that is encouraging, encouraging news. Wayne, if folks want to get more information about this project, certainly we want people to sign on from a prayer standpoint um, and and pray for the resources to come in and for the engineers and those tasked with the responsibility of getting the station on the air, creating the programming, and uh, and beginning to bring this ministry to North Korea come the end of 2019. Is there a, a website address that folks can reach out to to get more information? Sure is, Greg, and such a joy to talk to somebody like you that knows radio so well, uh, the infrastructure and all the complexities of that. And shortwave is still being used in many parts of the world, in India and China, but uh, this is the right tool for North Korea. If people want to know more, Craig, they can just go to our website, febc.org, stands for Far East Broadcasting Company, febc.org. And there you'll find uh, videos, you'll find articles, you'll hear more about the plan to put in this huge super radio station being the gospel into North Korea. Certainly good news. Now, sidebar, a uh, question for you, Wayne. Are you're, you're still involved with Reach Beyond, are you not? 
I retired from Reach Beyond about two years ago. Ah, okay. And, uh, continue to be in contact with them, but uh, I'm uh, I'm basically doing some consulting and uh, working uh, for Far East Broadcasting Company. My old boss from Moody, Ed Cannon, is now the president of Far East Broadcasting, and he asked me to join him to do things like this to help tell the world about the wonderful things that God is doing around the world. So uh, this is where I am right now, well, kind you, of in you, a freelance mode, and it's an exciting, exciting season of life. You've, you've had a wonderful career ministry trajectory from an organization uh, like Moody Radio and, of course, uh, KFAX listeners that have been around for a while. We'll remember Dan Craig, uh, who was our general manager here, who's now handling programming for uh, Moody back in Chicago, and, uh, and then Wayne having moved from um, one of the premier radio networks in America to... Um, uh, reach beyond. Uh, in fact, I just got back from Ecuador two weeks ago today, uh, and folks still talk about the impact of HCJB down there, uh, which of course was run by uh, Reach Beyond Ministries, and now Wayne uh, working as an ambassador on behalf of Far East Broadcasting Company. Exciting news! Uh, you know, we can talk all we want about negotiations and the the historic meeting between Kim and President Trump twice over, but nothing is going to free that continent or change it radically, uh, more rapidly, more effectively, and more thoroughly than the gospel. And to see this uh, medium wave, unbelievably powerful transmitter going on the air by the end of the year to impact the entirety of uh, the Northern Peninsula with the gospel of Jesus Christ is exciting, exciting news. Information available again on the web at febc.org. That's FEBC, think Far East Broadcasting Company, febc.org. Final question, Wayne. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show my, my radio engineering background here, but you don't have any idea who's the manufacturer of the transmitter for that, do you? I do not. Uh, that's a good question. I, I just, I'm just curious who's out there. I, I know who some of the cast of characters are that make 50,000-watt AM transmitters, the highest power allowed here in America. But uh, 250,000 watts, that's, a, that's one big transmitter. That's, that's not a refrigerator or two. That's a couple of rooms worth. Yeah, I could take a guess, Craig, but it might be Nautel. They're the ones that make the, the big blowtorches out there. Oh, yes, they I'm do. I'm percent sure of that. I've, I've got a couple of them here in our, our radio family here in the San Francisco Bay Area, and uh, they, they make an excellent uh, product, our friends at Nautel up in, uh, in Canada. There is Wayne Pedersen again. Wayne is the ambassador with FEBC and uh, talking about the brand-new radio station about to be launched towards the end of 2019, blanketing the totality of North Korea. Exciting stuff. FEBC.org for more information. Look at traffic now. 636. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. We know that from Scripture... We are made in the very image of God and that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And so you look at these connections and wonder to yourself, just how deep do they go? And by that, I mean, when we talk about our relationship with God, we certainly understand it. We relate to it on the spiritual plane. But does it go deeper than that? Journalist Rob Mole joins us now. He's written a new book called What Your Body Knows About God, How We Are Designed to Connect, Serve, and Thrive. He has written uh, extensively on this topic. 
um, particularly related to health and health care issues. He's also editor-at-large with Christianity Today. You've also read his work, no doubt, in the Wall Street Journal and elsewhere. And he serves as communications officer to the president of World Vision. And, Rob, great to have you on the program. Well, thank you, Craig. It's great to be here. And it would seem at a certain level that the notion of there being a deeper connectivity with God would be a logical one. I mean, given the fact that he uh, breathed very life into us and that we are made in his image. That's right. That's exactly where I was about to go, was to talk about that image in Genesis where God forms the human being, forms Adam out of the dust of the ground and breathes into him the breath of life. So uh, certainly we are spirit and flesh, and our faith, our spirituality, our connections to God do not are not do not just exist in a kind of ethereal plane, but they they go down to into who we are as as uh, physical beings, as uh, part of God's good creation. There have been some interesting studies done, and we've frequently heard this from physicians, and not those with an agenda. And I put that disclaimer in there because some eavesdropping on our conversation tonight, Rob might say, well, yeah, sure, these are Christian doctors, so they're trying to prove a point. No, physicians who, who make no claim to any sort of uh, religious affiliation whatsoever, but will say that they notice something unique and different about the patients who are praying patients, and that is that the recovery rate seem to be better, survival rates following uh, significant surgeries, things of this sort seem to be better, attitudes seem to be better. There seems to be a marked connectivity between the health of one's body and one's relationship or connectivity to God. In any of your research, have you seen that borne out in any sort of a a deeper scientific fashion? Well, you know, a survey of uh, HMO executives found that 94% of them believe that prayer helps medical treatment and speeds recovery of patients. Uh, Something like 80% or higher of uh, doctors say the same thing. Uh, I think that these people, you know, and I was a a hospice volunteer myself, and, and you don't you don't get around people who are dealing with physical illnesses who aren't also in search of um, in search of something greater and those who have that connection uh, connection to god who are able to um, draw on that uh, deep well of faith they're able to they're able to often deal with those illnesses in a much more productive way and often that means that uh, Literally, you can measure their immune systems, and that has an effect. They're, they're able to respond to disease in healthier ways. People who go to church tend to, tend to live longer. People who um, are engaged in spiritual practices do. One researcher at uh, Duke University found, or he estimated, that the effects of not going to church, uh, the effects of the lack of spiritual, uh, lack of, uh, spiritual involvement, was as unhealthy for people as smoking a pack of cigarettes every day for 40 years. Wow. Now, we, we certainly can, can talk about connectivity uh, of, of the body's positive reaction to positive experiences. There are experiences that help to release serotonin, and we feel better. We have a sense of being uplifted, things of, of this sort. Have we seen some scientific connection then in that arena in terms of um, involvement in spiritual life? I'm talking about things like prayer, like praise and worship. I mean, I would imagine if 
if from a biblical perspective, we are designed, created in his image, and to serve and worship him, that it would almost uh, go without saying that the body would have some kind of a mechanism that, uh, that positively reacts when we're connecting with God at that level. Yeah, you know, uh, one of the newest and among the most successful treatments of people with depression is prayer, simple prayer. Uh, now, that doesn't mean uh, pray a few times and, and Jesus will heal you uh, right away, but it does mean that, you know, we tend to go immediately to the, the sort of pharmaceutical uh, uh, area in order to treat these things, but uh, one of the most common prescriptions now is for people to, to turn to prayer, and it's effective, uh, and it works. And it works because prayer is literally healthy for your brain. It's good for your brain for you to be engaged in a spiritual pursuit, uh, gaining uh, a sense of purpose and meaning in your life. Uh, it's healthy for your brain to be contemplating God and spend some time uh, meditating over Scripture, spend some time thinking of all that uh, Jesus, uh, especially at this time of year, came to, to uh, be a human being on our earth. We can consider all the things that he did, he did, and when we spend some time in that sort of contemplation, it's incredibly healthy for our brain. Have scientists taken the time Rob, to, um, uh, to watch the way the brain reacts or responds to, um, for example, a praise and worship experience. I know that when I go into church and there is a, a rousing time of praise and worship, um, it, it, it uplifts your spirit. Whatever troubles that you might have carried into the church with you from the week behind you uh, seem to just sort of melt away and and you you definitely feel as if you've made a connection with God. I would wonder if scientists have ever taken the time to be able to study the brain and see what's going on at that time when people are experiencing that that worshipful connection with God. Yeah, they sure have. And uh, one study, almost jokingly, said uh, when people are in worship, it's as though they're uh, addicted to drugs. Uh, one of the natural brain chemicals is oxytocin. And uh, heroin actually mimics that. Uh, and so you get, a, in a sense, according to uh, the researchers, um, you get a sense of this spiritual high. You are, um, you, you're with all of these people. There's a, there's a social aspect there. Uh, you're with people that you know, people that you care about, people that you see week to week, maybe throughout the week. And that gives you a sense of uh, th this uh, social uplift. And then connecting to, connecting to God in, in that kind of environment, it's a unique thing. And, and uh, one of the ways that our brains are involved is through the, through the production and reception of oxytocin. Uh, it's, a, it's a normal uh, brain chemical that helps us to, to sort of feel uplifted. And, um, and that seems to be one way that, uh, that our brains are designed to have that special feeling of connection to God. You know, God works in the, through physical means all, all the time when he works in our lives. And in that moment, uh, that, uh, that uh, little 
boost of oxytocin is one of those ways. Yeah, it's interesting. During this holiday season, so often we hear reports of people getting uh, deeper in depression. They maybe have lost a loved one during this time of the year, so it's a, it's a difficult time for them. We see higher rates of suicide amongst individuals during the holiday season. What a wonderful message of encouragement for people to understand that a relationship with Jesus Christ goes uh, well beyond not just God's concern for our our relationship to him and the afterlife, but even God's concern toward how we are doing here on earth in the here and now, and that the benefits of that personal one-on-one relationship with him go so deep and so so wonderfully connected that it can change and elevate even our mood and and, uh, the way we feel about ourselves. With us today is Rob Mole. His book is called What Your Body Knows About God, How We Are Designed to Connect, Serve, and Thrive. We'll take a time out and come back to more of our visit as this edition of Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Think for a moment about the feelings that you first had when you first met your spouse, for example. Uh, there, There was something that happened deep inside of you. There was a connectivity that occurred. We are wired for intimacy, and our bodies react to it when it when it's right. It stands to reason, therefore, that in that same sense in which the physical part of us reacts to uh, a loved one, there is that same sense of the way in which our body reacts to intimacy with God. We are, after all, created in very God's image. I've always been fascinated uh, by the passage early on in Jeremiah where God speaks of having known Jeremiah while he was yet in his mother's womb. And so with that thought in mind, we're exploring this topic today of what our body knows about God. And with us today is um, author and journalist uh, Rob Mole. And and Rob, toward that end, I guess it stands to reason as much as we we see that wonderful release of all those positive chemicals that go on in the brain when we're when we're close to our uh, our spouse, when we're intimate with our spouse, same thing is true then I guess of God. Yeah, it sure is. I mean, when when researchers put uh, put someone into a, a brain scanner, it seems kind of sacrilegious to stick someone into a, a big machine and then and then tell them to pray. But we can find out some really interesting things when when that happens. And one of the interesting things is that the brain is working in this in this unique way. It's uh, different than if you were having another kind of emotional experience. So they looked at people remembering uh, fond uh, fond memories of uh, of friendship, feeling perhaps even the closest sorts of friendships that they've ever had, and remembering special moments. and And then they looked at those people remembering special moments with God and what that looked like in the brain. And, and they're actually really different things. The brain's doing something different, but not something unusual or not something that the brain isn't designed to do. Uh, and one of the fascinating things is as we, as we get closer to God and as we use our brain in this way to contemplate and, and meditate and pray to God, the brain is actually enhancing its uh, its senses of compassion, sort of the brain muscles around compassion and social awareness. So 
as we as we grow in our love for God, we actually grow in our love for other people. So as you as you mentioned, you know, as we connect with people, we're also connecting with God. As we connect with God, we're also connecting with people. When you were writing this book in the middle of this project, um, your wife went through a pretty difficult experience, um, which I, I guess made aspects of, of this book a little bit challenging. Talk to us about what was going on with your wife, uh, Clarissa. Yeah. We were about six weeks after the birth of our child, and, and Clarissa started having panic attacks. I'd never seen someone with a panic attack before, but it's a, it's a frightening thing. Uh, this overpowering sense of uh, a sense of uh, that you're going to die. This sense of something is drastically wrong. Um, I need to, uh, 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 you know, my my, my life is unraveling. Uh, my world is unraveling, and I'm going to die any minute. Uh, it's a it's it's actually a horrible thing to witness, and. This was going on over and over and over again, and what we found as we as we uh, sought help and, and talked to people and talked to experts was it's actually uh, not unusual for someone after after birth to go through a post postpartum anxiety or postpartum depression. Uh, so, what one of the things that was happening was that the levels of neurochemicals that she was able to use neurochemicals like we've talked about, serotonin and, and oxytocin and things like that, were at a really, really low level. So she, she wasn't able to, to function properly. And what, I, what, I, what the challenge for me as I'm writing this book and writing about the, the glorious design of our bodies to be able to worship God and to, and to love others, was that here... The, you know, in this sort of miraculous moment of, of birth and welcoming new life into the world, uh, we're also dealing with uh, my wife's body that had gone so drastically wrong. Uh, and I had to, I had to find, I had to seek some answers around well, how are we, what, what am I supposed to think about, especially if I'm going to continue writing this book, what am I supposed to think about our bodies design when they go wrong. How am I supposed to think about God and suffering? And and these were these were pretty tough questions for a while. Digging into that, and I think it was important for the integrity of the book to do so. Uh, what were some of the conclusions that you were able to draw for yourself? Well, you know, you look at you look at Scripture, and uh, especially at Job, and God doesn't really give Job a, a terrific answer when he when he wants to know why he went through this suffering. Uh, God essentially answers, "I'm God," <laughs> um, and and one of the things that we see in Jesus is that uh, even Jesus suffers. Uh, and not so much that that uh, God gives us an answer or, or the kind of explanation that we are seeking when we ask God about suffering, but but we see that Jesus has suffered with us. And so, as I looked, in, you know, in the in the physiology and biology, what what is what are we supposed to? How do we make sense of this? One thing I found was that one of the healthiest things that we can do when we are suffering is actually to help other people. Uh, I talked to somebody who had gone through a similar experience of panic attacks, and uh, and he went to a, a Christian psychologist, uh, not knowing that this this woman was Christian, and she said, "Okay, your your path back to health to health is going to be to help people." 
and she gave him a task every Monday. She she gave him a task of, uh, you know, go to the soup kitchen, uh, help someone across the street, do these very um, very mundane but very important actions of helping another person, and that was actually his route back to health. Uh, so our bodies are designed uh, to to be helping other people, to respond to suffering. And I think that that's, that was the answer for me, that uh, when, when humans were suffering alienation to, from God, he sent his son to die for us uh, in response. And, and when, when we are suffering and when we see others suffering, we're designed to respond and, and alleviate that, help alleviate that pain. We will find individuals that will, for example, during this time of year, uh, during the holidays, uh, suffer from one form or another of depression that in more extreme forms can certainly lead to panic attacks similar to what uh, your wife is experiencing on a postpartum basis. And it's fascinating to note how often, as you suggest, that just the very idea of getting the focus off of how you're feeling and your experience and focusing on somebody else whose circumstances or needs are, are, are bigger or more severe, how that can entirely change your outlook and suddenly you realize, wait a minute, I'm here doing all of this and engaged in helping this person and I'm no longer feeling depressed. I, I'm no longer having to deal with the panic attacks. And it's amazing to see the way God sort of builds into our system this ability to, to do unto others that oftentimes times be a form of worship as well. And in doing so, all of a sudden, the body has a way of, of healing itself, doesn't it? That's right. You know, one of the one of the interesting things uh, of research recently is that you know mental health is uh, you, your mental health is best when you're not really thinking about yourself. Um, when, as C.S. Lewis talks about, you can't go around uh, looking for how can I experience joy today. Uh, you experience joy when you're finding joy in the things that you do, uh, and in the same way, mental health. Um, you know, we are healthier as people. When we are engaged, when we are concerned not for ourselves, uh, but for those around us, those who we care about, those that we are living our lives with, our family members, our friends, uh, those, those in our church communities, uh, the people at work, that's really where we find meaning and purpose and then therefore a healthy life. Rob Mole, the book called What Your Body Knows About God, How We're Designed to Connect serve and thrive. Rob, thanks so much for the insights. The book, by the way, published by InterVarsity Press. You'll find it at Bay Area Christian Bookstores. Great holiday gift. Also through Amazon.com. Thanks again to uh, Rob Mole for being with us. Details, too, about his work on the web at RobMole.com. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of Lifeline. Thanks so much for being with us. And if there was anything you heard on today's show that you'd like to hear again or share with a friend, grab a copy of the Lifeline podcast. Simply log on to kfax.com. That's kfax.com for the Lifeline podcast. Our producer is Wanda Sanchez. I'm Craig Roberts. Till next time round, remember, just don't keep the faith. Get out there and share it and make it a great evening. So long. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved.
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.